Kimberly here. This is Macabish, cults, classics, and horrors. We're talking films, series, books, and life, and we're starting right now. It's amazing how there's still so much content, even during the pandemic, with productions kind of stalled and shut down. I wonder if it's because we're just watching more reruns or um, like where all this content is coming from. Mm -hmm. I think now is where we're getting the content that had been shelved. Yeah. Where, you know, you had completed productions and they couldn't get distribution for it or, you know, somebody had bought it for distribution and thought, well, you know, now is not the time. We can't put it on our docket, whatever the case was. But now with so many productions having been shut down, there's all this content and all of this material that had been shot 2019 2018 2017 that it had just been sitting and waiting for the right time to release mm. that was yeah that's probably it it's giving opportunities to projects that normally would not sit a light of day because mm-hmm. how many um i mean how many independent films lower budget films will run the festival circuits they'll get picked up by a distribution for distribution by a smaller distribution label or a mid-level distribution label and then they just can't find the place for it so they're sitting on all of these completed projects and have nowhere to put them mm. it's also movies <laughs> that came out with just the right subject matter during the pandemic mm-hmm. that are really taking off you know for example yeah. springs um they didn't make that movie you know intending it to be a quarantine film but it's one of the perfect quarantine films out there and Elaine, weren't you working on something like a Zoom uh, quarantine dating show like during the pandemic? I was. I, I'm still surprised I managed to get that off the ground. Um, but <laughs> I started doing it around April or so, just hearing my friends talk about how difficult it is to date during a pandemic. And so I created this series. Originally, it was going to be Love in a Time of Corona, but I changed it. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great name. Yeah, quarantine for two instead, and um, I cast my friend Diani to be the bachelorette and let her into the Zoom room where there's other eligible bachelors just looking to find someone, you know. And, That's awesome. Uh, it was so much yeah, fun. It's a very cool concept. Yeah, I feel like um, Carlos, if you if you want to start directing, you know, the Zoom is a great great place to start. Um, you know, just to work with actors and give them direction. Mm, yeah like you mean like have table reads and stuff or or even just direct something you know with quarantine for two just i think the practice of working with actors and giving them notes is something that every director should practice doing whenever they get the chance to Mm -hmm. Um, whenever you have the opportunity to work with actors you know take it yeah good point Hmm. um well lane going back to uh monkey pod is there like uh are there any production houses that you would ideally like to work for like monkey paw or a24 blumhouse a24 and blumhouse would definitely be my top two um for a while i was working as a production assistant on into the dark which is blumhouse and so um i I know that the production company is very cheap (laughs) they tend to pump out movies Mm -hmm. with very low budgets but they're committed to making content um, so I think that's a good fit for me. I, I'm used to working on a shoestring budget, so that doesn't bother me. And then I think A24, they're, they're willing to take a risk on stories that are far out there, you know, and different, yeah. which, you know, tends to be what I write. 
That's awesome. Those are my favorite story. Low budget and far out. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants money, but I think at a certain point it can actually hinder your process. You know, it can make you be less creative if you can just be like, oh, well, I'll just buy that. Um, Instead of like, hey, let me take what I have and try to make something out of it. Like Imprecation, the Insane Asylum, it's actually an abandoned paper factory that we used. And it's not even oh. a basement. Um, we, we built out all these walls to make it seem like it was underground. Yeah, it, it's what you have to do. And I think it, it's actually more fun when you're able to take something and, and make something out of nothing. Right. Well, I mean, what's the, what's the saying? It's diamonds are created under pressure. Yes, exactly. And how many big budget movies have we seen that were just the worst? Like you had all the money in the world and this is what you came up with? I've just seen some brilliant low budget stuff. Like, how did they do it? Well, money, money is like uh, you, when you use the money hose to just fix whatever problem, you, it, it makes you just fall back onto mediocrity, right? Like, right. fall back on easy answers rather than come up with something creative. Or they'll throw every idea they ever had for it and just jam it all in there because they have the money. And then the <laughs> movie's just a mess. Yeah, I think a lot of movies suffer from too many writers, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. And that's why I love independent film, because it's easier to just have one voice. And um, I mean, I, I definitely had a lot of test screenings and had people help me revise my script. But in the end, it's it's my story. And it it I was filmed the way I intended to, mm-hmm. which I think you, you don't really have much control as a director for a studio. You have producers breathing down your necks, telling you what to do. Right. That makes sense. As a um, a writer director on the purgation, obviously you um, you know you went out and you you shot your own stuff, so you already had a visual in mind. How would that, from a, a creative standpoint, how do you think, or how would that differ from shooting somebody else's script? Because now you're taking work that somebody else has has written, and they've spent six months, a year, two years, whatever the case may be, to refine that script. And they've passed it on to you now as the director. That's a great question. I think if you're lucky enough, you definitely want to collaborate with the writer so you can make sure to hold on to their original intention. Um, The one short film I directed with a different writer, um, my friend Jeff, he wrote it. I made sure that I talked to him every step of the way so that I was creating the story that he put on his paper, you know? I don't think you always had that luxury with uh, productions though. So I think one thing you have to do is just be confident that, that your voice is correct. You can't second guess yourself. You know, mm. I, if you start doing that, then the, the story becomes convoluted. You have to have just one vision and move forward with it. Excellent. Yeah. Carlos don't have too many people, you know, picking away <laughs> at what, what you want to do. Just have confidence that you know what you're doing. You know, one thing I said, maybe Carlos could do is like minute movies and just have this idea in your mind of what you want to do and then focus on the execution. And then I, and I think it would probably be easier. Well, that's what makes me curious. Like what's the market for shorts? Because I've noticed that you've done a bunch of shorts now. Um, But like, what's the platform for that? Like, is that something that goes to YouTube or do you sell it to like a certain circuit that will play them or like what's, where do those go? Great question. So it's not something that's going to lead to making too much money. 
I think the only short film that generated revenue was probably Maneki Neko. Um, it's on a streaming platform in Asia and it won a couple of cash prizes at festivals. But um, other than that movie, none of my other short films have generated revenue. They've only led to, you know, more work, which was beneficial because it's kind of like a calling card for you. It shows other directors and producers what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the market, I think it's more about exposure, getting people to see your work. Right. Um, Kimberly brought up the idea of like just doing things in minutes. And there's this platform called um, Bite Size Horror that I recommend. Um, they do shock tales on Amazon, actually, where if you submit a one minute horror movie, they'll feature it on their platform. So you have more people that will watch your work and just, you know, give you feedback. That's what? What's this mm. called? That's cool. It's called Bite Size Horror. Yeah, I can send the link to Kimberly and maybe she can pass it on to you. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yes, please. Thank you. Didn't even know that was a thing. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. sounds amazing. <clears throat> it's fun to, to try and scare someone within, you know, one minute. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that was, uh, I'm really kicking myself in the ass for not uh, jumping on the challenge that uh, Roger Corman threw up at some point in the pandemic. And it was basically make a a trailer for a movie and you can't leave your apartment and it's got to be 30 seconds or a minute or something like that. And they'll feature and uh, there was some kind of prize attached to it, but like that sparks creativity, right? Well, do it now. Why, why not do it now? Post it on your page. Well, yeah, I, yeah, of course, but I like challenges. <laughs> I agree with Kimberly. You should still do it and then tag Roger Corman and see if he takes a look at it. You know? That would mm-hmm. be awesome. Do you have any work out there, Carlos? Like any short films on YouTube? No, not yet. No. Just got to do it. It's probably never a perfect time. It's like having kids. Just got to do it. <laughs> exactly. And I think you also just need to get your work out there so people know what your voice is. Um, especially in LA, people... They want to know what your voice is and what you're capable of capable of doing before they'll put a risk on you. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, it's a visual art. Until you show somebody what you can do, mm-hmm. no one will know. Exactly. I want to do the spoiler part of the <laughs> of the podcast. Okay. I want to circle back, um, Elaine, to the to the end of the purgation because I have a I have a theory. And I want to know if it's anywhere even close to what you had intended as the as the creator of the movie. So we get to the to the to the end sequence, and anybody who hasn't seen the movie, I'm going to totally ruin it for you now. Um, it's fine. It's been five years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, um, you know, the the door opens, and we see Iris, and there's Iris as a little girl is lying on the floor and she's clearly either unconscious or deceased you cycle around the room and you've got Derek who has been ice pick lobotomized you've got um, the other little girl who is clearly has like drowned in the bathtub and then we cut back and you have Iris grown up also having fallen down the stairs and is in the same position as Iris as a little girl so my fan theory is the entire Sequent, the entire movie basically has been Iris has been comatose and she's being taken care of by Edie when she's an adult having fallen down the stairs. This is the point where Iris has actually passed away. 
Um, well, first, I'm just flattered that you took the time to kind of analyze that ending so deeply. Um, to answer your question, no, she's not comatose, but that would have been a very interesting way to look at the story. And she she does die at the end. I'll say that. Um, Iris does pass away. And I, I will say that all her friends are also dead. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, it, would I then be able to safely say when she is seeing her friends they have already passed away and they are not they are existing in her mind similar to Caden when she was young and whatever her co-worker's name was Jordan Jason Jacob. I forget sorry Jacob yes thank you as when she was grown up and when she goes and sees Edie and she has him tagging along with her yes they are figments of her imagination okay um, and yeah I know I kind of tease that out in the scene with the mother and um, Marlene but I think we shot it very purposefully so that the mother and um, her daughter almost never really exist in the same space with the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, kind of like in a sixth sense kind of way. So, so yeah, all, all her friends um, died in that insane asylum. And um, yes, sister Agnes, you know, this crazy nun is real and, and she is the supernatural force behind everything that happened. Okay, because that was <laughs> that was going to be my next question: is Is there a sister Agnes, or did Iris actually somehow manifest her and kill her parent and kill her friends herself? Ah, so yes, in a way, I would say that Iris was the one who was behind. I'm really stepping into spoiler territory here, but <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> my intention is that Sister Agnes possessed. Um, Iris when she was a child and she was the one that physically killed all her friends Um, but she you know because she was a child and because she was possessed she did not know it and she's been carrying this guilt you know up into adulthood you know inside her okay yeah that's what Mm. I thought and actually I don't think these are spoilers so much I think it would make people want to watch the movie I hope it makes people want to watch the movie because honestly it like this is something want to rewatch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the the other. Like this is something that needs to not just don't watch it just once. Like you need to watch it probably two or three times to get oh, the yeah. full effect from it. Like my interpretation is coming from a single viewing, and I watched it um, like immediately after um, Kim messaged and said, "Okay, we're, Elaine has agreed to be on the show." The very next thing I did, like right after work, was I watched the movie so this is a like off a single viewing much earlier in the week and it's still sitting with me now a week or more later oh yeah it stays with you, you know it, it, so it's it's something that definitely like from a as a horror fan to other horror fans you need to watch this movie it's it's just it'll, it'll keep you going it'll make you think it'll keep you interested just watch it just watch Absolutely. it oh thank you chris i wish i had you on my marketing team <laughs> <laughs> but I can't design a poster. <laughs> I can design a poster because that was not it. Also, this is the reason why I'm one of these people. I don't really believe in spoilers. You can tell me the whole movie. I still want to see the movie for myself because we're all going to interpret it differently, especially if it's thought provoking. 
So I want to see it for myself. There's no such thing as spoilers for me. So yeah, I love um, going through your Instagram posts, Kimberly, because you basically you write out the entire plot of these horror movies, and it makes me want to watch it more so I can see it for myself. And right. I, I'm also I'm happy that you include the ending for your you know summaries because I, I want to see that. You know, there's no need to keep me in suspense. I'll watch it no matter what, even if the spoiler. Yeah. And I just leave out my opinion about it because even if I don't like something. Who cares? Somebody else will like it. It's fine. You know, and some people ask, okay, well, is this good? I'm like, I don't know. You have to watch it and tell me, is it good? Mm-hmm. And I'm very aware that this is someone's livelihood. It's somebody's dream. And I don't want to be the idiot that comes out like, this is garbage. Nobody should watch this. I'm not into that at all. I want everybody to watch everything and decide for themselves. <laughs> I mean, some of my favorite movies are the worst movies in the world. You just have so much fun tearing them down. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a market for that as well. Like I worked on this movie called Birdemic, um, which is terrible, but <laughs> it it made quite a bit of money because people just loved, you know, joking about it and tearing it down. It was like, you know, the room. Bad movies can be the best. And, and look what happened with Sharknado. Like it was the most ridiculous idea. It was an incredibly terrible movie, and now there are, like, six of them. <laughs> there's six of them? Oh, my God. I think there's six of them. I think, Carlos, are there six of them? I'm sorry, which one? Sharknado, because I... I uh, no, it's not, it's not five. Oh, okay, no, box. yeah, no, sorry, no, you're right, six. There was six. Okay, That's yeah, because I, I remember your post with the box set and your cute little shark pop. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's, they're movies. They're meant to be entertaining. Good is relative. We like some horrible movies. And all that's necessary is that they entertain us. That's it. So yeah. I don't I don't really go down the path of reviewing movies like thumbs up, thumbs down, because I don't think that's for me to decide. That's for you to decide, the viewer. Mm. Yeah, I, I never really noticed that about your post that you didn't give your own opinion. And now now I see why you do that. I mean, thank you for also recognizing that this is a livelihood for a lot of people. And yes, I understand that critics have to exist, but one bad review can also destroy your film. And I, I do feel like it's it can be very harmful, you know, to directors and filmmakers who are just starting out. And that's why when I see a really bad review, especially a ridiculous, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to make films ever again. I purposefully watch that movie because that's a pretty unfair thing to say in a if I in any way liked it, I tell everybody else they should watch it too. Thank you. Thank you so much. My gosh. Yeah. yeah. Anyone who wants to rip apart a movie that was not done on a huge budget, it's just like, it, there's probably something going on with that person. They're taking their anger out on this movie because there's just no reason for that. I can understand getting mad at like Wonder Woman or another big budget film because, you know, it's different because it's backed by a studio. But right. these independent filmmakers, you know, they're pouring their their hearts and souls into these projects right and if you look at a lot of reviews i've mentioned this before the review has nothing to do with the movie it has Mm -hmm. everything to do with their what they thought the movie should be and then the movie turned out to not be that and then they just hammer it with a bad review those are really disingenuous and i wish amazon would actually do something about those because they're not reviewing the movie yeah it's funny how much the audience feels like they deserve control, you know, over the stories that they see. Right. And and I feel like there needs to be some balance. It's like, we can't completely cater to the public. Mm-hmm. 
sorry, how much how much of the the negative reviews do you think are are what Kim was saying, where it's you know I'm reviewing it badly because it didn't meet what I expected it to be, and how much of it is also potentially people are just jealous and upset because you know you as a as a filmmaker have gone out there and you've taken your time and you've spent your money and you've sweated and you've cried and you've bled over this product and you've put something out that you're proud of and i mean by every rate you should be proud of it how much of it might be a jealousy where people are looking at it and thinking well i really wanted to do that but i never did so i'm just going to slam this now because i didn't get to do what i wanted to do I, I definitely think there is probably a large percentage of people um, who fall in that category. I had one review from this man who, I'm not sure why he was so angry, but he basically called me out. He was just like, this whole movie was a mess and it's completely Elaine Chu's fault. And um, he went on the list all the reasons why it was my fault and only my fault. So it was definitely like him pinpointing me for whatever reason. And, you know, when I first read it, you know, I was a lot younger and it, it definitely affected me. But now that I'm older, um, you know, I can understand that, hey, maybe he was also an aspiring director who did not get his movie made for whatever reason. And, you know, that's why he's so upset. That would be my <laughs> cue to like, this guy just told us all to go watch Elaine Chu's movie. So yeah. we should all go watch it now and then we'll all decide if it's horrible or not and we'll check back with you. I can laugh at it now, but um, yeah, so there's that category. And then there's also the people that you offend. I, I had, um, I have a nun who keeps messaging me <laughs> about how this wow. movie is detrimental to the Catholic church. And, um, you know, I've, I've been very patient with her because she is a nun and, you know, just trying to have a conversation with her. I, I'm not religious myself. I'm spiritual, but, um, you know, I'm no longer really Catholic. You know, I grew up with that religion, but, you know, I, I do apologize to anyone out there who is Catholic and feels like they're offended, who who was offended, you know, by my depiction of nuns. <laughs> but at the same time, she watched it. Yes. <laughs> like, um, that's what's important is she watched it and it provoked an emotional response in her. And I mean, really, as a as a creative, isn't that what we want? Like, we want somebody to absorb our work and have an emotional response to it. Exactly. That's totally what I want. Like, I think one of the best reactions I got was from someone who went to my test screening. And afterwards he said, Elaine, your movie made me want to scratch off on my skin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's a fantastic (laughs) review. (laughs) It affected him emotionally in that sense. Yeah. Um, I guess I can see why a nun would be upset, but I gotta be honest. I have a fair amount of Catholic friends who love nun horrors. So make that is what it is, but they love it. So I don't understand how a nun would have even seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't have... seem like the kind of thing that they would be <laughs> clicking on. Right. The Catholic Church has um, these websites set up where they essentially review all content and put warnings and you know summaries up so parents and other people can be warned before they watch a movie and it's given like a catholic rating of like how um (laughs) three crosses (laughs) 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 yeah sorry i couldn't resist (laughs) and that's where this nun was coming from i think it's something that she Uh, does uh, okay part of her her job 
And that's how my friends found out about all these nun movies. It's just like when you put the parental warnings on music, you tell them, oh, don't watch this because, and they're like, oh, well, I'm going right out. I'm watching it. Watching mm-hmm. it tonight. That's what happens. Because, well, I mean, let's be honest. As people, what's the first thing we're going to do when t- somebody tells us not to do something? Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of these folks went to, like, Catholic schools, and they have problems with nuns. So they are partic- they particularly do like nun horror. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very bizarre religion. I mean, if anyone has grown up Catholic, you're taught that you're eating the literal body of Christ and drinking his blood. I mean, how right. horrifying is that? As a <laughs> learn. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest religion in the world that promotes cannibalism. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I grew up, you know, going to a Catholic school for, you know, when I was in kindergarten through sixth grade. So it, it's something that's really, you know, been inside me and i'm terrified of nuns because of that experience um we had a a nun as our principal and the assistant principal and i'm I'm sure they're lovely people but as a child they were very very scary well your movie is very biographical that's based on your childhood so it makes sense there would be a nun and all the other things just perfect horror fans love that stuff when it's like based on a true story yeah, I had so much fun researching this insane asylum that purgation took place in um, because it, it is a real place in Marshfield, Wisconsin. And the history of it includes, you know, lobotomies and ice baths and, you know, mysterious disappearances of patients who got tortured. You know, it, it's I'm sure it's something that's happened all over you know, the U.S. because there wasn't that much quality control in these insane asylums. So, you know, doctors and nurses could pretty much do whatever they wanted. And there also just wasn't a very good understanding of, you know, where insanity comes from and how to treat it. So they, they, um, the, the sequence in the movie where um, Iris is doing her research and she's posting everything around the, the bedroom, she's printed off a lot of articles and photographs. Are those actual like existing articles that you had found in doing your research or were those mocked up for the movie? Yeah, I mean, it's a mix. There's definitely some pictures that I just took from Wikipedia, but there are actual images of the staff who worked at this insane asylum and pictures of, you know, what it looked like in its heyday before, you know, it started to crumble and deteriorate. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a mix of truth and fiction. Um, there's one story that really struck me when I was doing my research um, about this insane asylum of one patient who, who basically disappeared in thin air. Like he was there and then like he was, you know, in the records and then he just disappeared and people have no idea what happened to him. I think, you know, the logical explanation is that he just ran away, but um, you know, like in my research, you know, there are like interviews of people who worked there who said that there was a nurse who was, torturing him and um and that people suspect that she was the one that killed him and then you know had other nurses and you know staff dispose of the body so was he the um was that part was that in part the inspiration for the um the male character that kept popping up the one who with the eyes who were sewed shut and looked like he was going to be lobotomized was was that story an inspiration for that character or was that character just wholly something that came to mind as you were creating the film. Yeah, I was definitely inspired by that. And then also just, you know, stories of, um, I think her name is Typhoid Mary. Um, Yeah, yeah, you know, these caretakers who are supposed to be, you know, in charge of sick people who are actually killing them because Mm -hmm. they're 
for whatever reason, they derive pleasure in inflicting pain. Well, I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited to see your next feature whenever that's done, because if it's anything like the purgation, it's going to be good because I had to watch that movie three times to get a handle <laughs> on what was happening. <laughs> and Thank for me, that's a good sign. I, mm-hmm. I like watching movies that I have to watch more than once. Same here. I almost never watch a movie more than once unless I really, really enjoy it, you know, and then it becomes almost like a comfort, you know, you get to see something new every single time you rewatch it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I had so much fun doing this. Carlos, if you want more advice, feel free to hit me up. You know, I I love talking independent filmmaking and, you know, I'd love to help you get your first project off the ground, too. So, you know, don't hesitate. That is amazing. Thank you so much. Awesome. Elaine, I just followed you on Instagram. I'll link to you in the description so everybody knows where to find you. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you, Kimberly, for like, you know, just creating this amazing space. This is the number one place for macabre cults, classics, and horrors. For synopsis, reviews, and news, go to macabre.com. Thank you for listening. Signing out until the next one.